Okay, let's go off camera for now. Okay, so I see that we have a couple persons in and I don't want us to run out of time or have to go over by too much. Um, so I just wanna get started. Okay. So, is everyone able to hear? Sorry, Jasmine is saying she can't hear, so I'm not sure if that's, uh, I saw that people answered the question, but I just wanted to make sure that everyone can hear. Because Jasmine, that may be your system. You may have to join with your audio. Thank you, Gio. Okay, so while Jasmine's figuring that out, uh, I think we have to get started here. So a couple of disclaimers. Um, we do have a designated half hour at the end for questions and answers. If you've been in the last two workshops, then um, kind of got used to it now. So there's a little tab where you can send your questions to all panelists um, and Kazai and I will see them and get to them. Don't worry, we see the question, we'll get to it. If it is something that we are currently dealing with that I think that we can um, probably answer right away for you, then we'll do that. Um, this will be up on our website, www.afrowaveto.com. I'm just gonna put that in here for you. Uh, just so that you can access it later if you miss something so we're not repeating um, too much. But yeah, so a little bit about AfroWave TO. Um, if you haven't been in previous workshops, then uh, you probably haven't heard this before. If you have, bear with me. Uh, so AfroWave TO is a nonprofit music organization. It is led by artists. It was founded for artists. Um, and it basically was created to establish a platform and access to resources for artists that are within the genres of reggae, dancehall, soca, uh, we don't have much calypso, but calypso, reggaeton. Um, so artists of color um, and uh, the Latin community. Basically, we kind of saw that there was a lot that wasn't being done to cater to this community specifically. Um, and there was a bit of a lack and so Afrowave TO is our effort of, of bridging that gap and, and filling that void, which is why we have these workshops here for you. Um, and this particular workshop is all about understanding Canadian rights and royalties. It's an area that has a potential to make you a lot of money from music, but it's an area that is um, frequently misunderstood. Um, and that's why we have Keziah Myers here with us. She is a veteran in this part of the industry. Um, and it's a pleasure to, to have her here with us to kind of explain all of this and hopefully provide some more clarity. Just a little bit about me. My name is Karis. I am a singer, songwriter, and music producer. I also am the director of operations for Afrowave TO. Um, I started out, like most people, on the creative side of the industry and then decided that I wanted to you know, learn a little bit more about the business, kind of learn a little bit more about management to better manage myself. Um, and then since that, I've kind of just immersed myself in the business side of the industry. 
um, which is how I ended up at AstroWave TO. So I want to welcome Kezia. Kezia, thank you so much for agreeing to do this workshop and for being here. We're looking forward to all the information that you provide and the conversation that we're going to have. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, can everybody hear me? I yes? Yeah, good? Okay. Uh, my name is pronounced Kezia, but Kazaya is a oh, common, <laughs> it, it's nothing, no, absolutely no issue. Okay. Uh, there are many people with the exact same spelling as mine. Okay. And this depends on the pronunciation. When I lived in West Africa, Burkina Faso, uh, it was Kesia and that's how they used to pronounce it. So okay. well, absolutely, uh, no issue, but uh, I pronounce it Kezia. And um, I will be talking about rights and royalties for all of my artists out there, my artist managers out there, um, because it, it, it truly is um, not only passive income where you don't actually have to be doing anything to have money end up in your account. It's also supplementary income. And in some people's cases, it is their primary form of income. Uh, when it's done well, then you have many different streams that are coming from rights and royalties because there are different rights. Um, but I will get, I will dig deeper into that and feel free to um, ask questions in the chat. But like we said before, we're definitely going to be able to take some questions. Uh, it is a very convoluted subject. So I recognize that it can be a lot of information. Um, and in some cases, an, an information overload. So if it is, I'm always happy to have people reach out to me through Instagram, Kezia Myers, and I, I will answer questions. Um, but a little bit about me is I have been now been in the music industry for about 15 years. I went to school and after school decided to get into, um, into consumer goods. So I was working at Procter & Gamble in marketing and had a love of music. I just didn't quite understand how to get into the music side of the industry. And so by way of some friends, which are, um, have been extremely big successes globally, I have now, I, I took the opportunity at that point to dive into the industry. And so at this point, I have now worked in publicity. I've worked in label operations. I've worked in marketing. I have worked in licensing, which is what I'm going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. I have overseen the membership department at SOCAN. And when I was doing licensing, I was also at SOCAN. And most recently, I was appointed as the executive director of Advance, Canada's Black Music Business Collective. And that's mm -hmm. where I sit happily uh, in a space where I'm advocating, where I am looking at programming and developing programming for the Black music, music business professional, those that are in the office and those that may be artists who are you know, uh, working on their own business strategies. I also have the pleasure of working with a number of different conferences and spaces to diversify the, the various spaces within the industry. So that's what I do now. Um, but as it pertains to licensing and royalties and rights, I was at SOCAN for six years. I was responsible for the media licensing when I first walked in the door and in turn responsible for the licensing of Apple Music and Spotify and NFL and NBA and Twitch. Um, a lot of those I redlined, those, those contracts, uh, so that 
the members would get paid. And then I went on into the membership department, supporting 150,000 members across four offices uh, with an incredible staff that was really focused on making uh, a, a better, uh, making it better for the member. And so talking about rights and royalties is really important to me because without understanding this key piece of information, sometimes you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I will jump right in if I can. Sure. And I'm going to share my screen. It's a PowerPoint. Uh, just before you start, so just so that everyone else is aware, uh, this is what we, this kind of setup that we did for our um, rights and royalties workshop last year. Um, so I know that some people that are on probably weren't in that last year, just so you know. So the rights and royalties, you tend to understand them better when it's as uh, Kezia is about to present. I know our last couple of workshops have kind of been um, conversation style. So just so you can kind of make that shift <laughs> in your brain. Um, it just works out a lot better when you're able to actually see it. So I'm yeah. glad you're able to have the slides and stuff to look at um, rather than us trying to do that over conversation. Um, as usual, if there are any resources or anything that you need, um, you can email me at operations at afrowave.co.com and I will try to communicate with Kezia or um, try to source that for you as well. Um, but let's get into it. Great. Um, and as I say that, I actually have to plug in my laptop. Give me one second. Uh, can you see the screen? Yes, I can okay. see. Can Perfect. everyone else see the screen? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so let's just dive right in. I'll skip a little bit about me because I've already told you about myself. Um, but the first slide just basically is a synopsis of what where I came from, what I've done my years in the industry and a few of the artists that I have worked with. So when we're looking at rights and royalties, we are really looking at what is intellectual property. And intellectual property is a category which actually focuses on the intangible, intangible creations that are made when we create a song. If we are singing a cover, or if we are playing written music, that's not considered intellectual property because we didn't create it. But when you're looking at copyright and protecting your intellectual property, you're really looking at ownership. Similar, the same way that we own, you know, we look at real estate property, same way you own a home is the same way you have intellectual property. You own that idea. Where it comes down to music is looking at that intellectual property and recognizing that as the owner of that intellectual property, also known as IP, there are rights attributed to the IP and the rights for the IP owner are given funds, royalties, whatever used. 
if again you're singing a cover or you are playing written music there's a different type of right that is there but it is not ip ip is always going to be your highest especially when you own the masters now i'm spewing out all of these words and i understand that that doesn't necessarily make sense so i will break it down uh, let me give you a little bit of background uh, um, about copyright in Canada. As I said, it is your intellectual property, which means it's the original work, protected the moment that you've created it. As the copyright owner, the intellectual property owner, you have exclusive rights to use it. However, oh, sorry, totally didn't mean to do that. Let's just go back for a second. However, when you lease it out, for lack of a better term, or you put it on the radio, or you put it on Spotify, well, now you're releasing your intellectual property to the world. But you don't want to release your intellectual property to the world and have Spotify say, oh, well, we're just gonna play your song, we're not gonna pay you. So what a platform like Spotify does is Spotify pays licensing fees, and they pay licensing fees in blanket form because it would be way too difficult to pay it was played and that's the calculation that creates your royalty I think we are having a little bit of a technical difficulty here. Hmm. Oh, I think we lost Kezia. Okay. We're just going to give her a moment to get back in. We're dealing with technology. It happens. Um, and then we'll just see if we can pick up. So just bear with us, please. Like I said, that has never happened. But I was talking to somebody today about Wi-Fi and just it conking out, and that's what just happened. Um, sorry. So let's just go back to this PowerPoint that I have in front of me. Um, Thank you. I need to share my screen. I'll do that first. Um, you still have access, right, Kirsten? I believe so. Let me just click onto it. Yes, it looks like it. Perfect. Um, apologies again, everybody. Okay. So we will go right back to where we were talking about royalties and uh, the creative forums. Uh, and, and really, like I said before, it is your intellectual property. So when you have a program like Spotify, you, they need to get permission from you or from the performing rights organization or mechanical rights organization or music rights organization that you're represented by or your publisher. So Spotify is not gonna come to you and say, hey, Kezia, can I use your song? You likely are represented by SoCan and if not, you definitely should be. And SoCan says to Spotify, Spotify, you're playing the music of all of our members. 
So because of that, because there is music that you haven't licensed, that you don't have a license for, you need to pay for that license. And then SOCAN will go ahead and distribute the royalties to you. And like I said, please stop me if there are questions, let me know. Um, I, I, I do know that I can um, repeat some of this information um, if it, because it is pretty heavy. So here we talk about the different music rights. Performing rights is the protection of your intellectual property when you have had a hand in creating it. That's where the intellectual property really is focused. Um, it's also when you're looking at performing rights, the performing rights organizations cover you or protect you when your music is paid, played in a public space. A public space can be, you know, obvious ones like the radio, um, obvious ones like a concert. But also if you walk into that restaurant and you're listening to, you know, Starbucks and you hear your song, you're like, wait a minute. Huh. That's also a public space. So Starbucks would be paying a license fee. Other, other public spaces include basketball games clubs, streaming services, some are obvious, some are not, the mall, um, you know, Christmas time comes around in the mall or there's uh, some sort of holiday or event that's happening at the mall and all of that music is taken care of and focused on by your performing rights royalty, your public performing rights royalty. Um, and in this case, that would be SOCAN. Then you have neighboring rights and neighboring rights is someone who has no uh, actual, uh, no actual part in the intellectual property piece. They haven't created the song, but it is your innate in ability has been used or your learned skills have been used to be in key recordings or key performances. So this is when you are a classically trained musician or you are a, um, or you are an avid background singer and you're on the recording of the master or of the song. And although your intellectual property is not used, your time, the, your skill that you have, that has been used and you receive also a royalty. Now the royalty is substantially smaller than if you actually would, had you know, an IP stock in the song. However, it does recognize that when the album or track goes platinum, your part in it as background, as key, as soloist, guitar solo, whatever it is, is recognized. Uh, I was talking to someone yesterday and he hasn't released music in 30 years and still from SOCAN, which is performing rights, receives, uh, no, sorry, from neighboring rights, still from neighboring rights. So he wasn't the owner of, of the intellectual property. He just played on the song he still receives $5,000 a year, 30 years later. Wow. And just a quick uh, question. I know you talked about um, like receiving a royalty for being a backup singer or a musician on the track. Is there a range in terms of the percentage, even though it's substantially smaller? Is there like a typical range? Yeah, well, it's usually half of what, well, it, it partially depends on how much you've played, okay. right? So if you are, let's say a solo, you're gonna be, your royalty is gonna be larger than that of one person singing one part in a choir. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So it's not that it's not as when I say calculated, it's not as calculated as you're performing right. When you're looking at the splits for your intellectual property, that because there's only, you know, maybe you have at max five writers on the song, um, then you could split that e individual uh, evenly at 20%. You could also say, well, one person wrote the majority of the song or the hook, which is usually the majority because it circulates so many times. Um, a, a, really, a really instrumental part of the song. And that person may take half of the intellectual property stock versus the other writers. And okay. as I break it down further, you'll see a visual that helps to show how, where the songwriter is concerned and where the producer is concerned. And then from that, you break it down even more. Yeah. It gets mathematical up in here. Yeah. <laughs> it's all math. Um, so then lastly, we go to reproduction rights. And this is the mechanical. So neighboring rights, if you're on the track, not a part of the intellectual property, perform public performing rights. It is protecting the person with the intellectual property when their song is played in a public space. And reproduction rights or mechanicals, that is your intellectual property yet again. And it is truly the reproduction. If that download is downloaded off of Spotify, that's what we look at as a reproduction. If it's streamed on Spotify, we look at, at that as a, a public performing right. And now when it comes to reproduction rights, it is the master right Holder who is protected. So you may be the one who created and wrote the song, but if you are represented by a label and your deal specifically says that the label holds the masters, then they get paid this piece. You'll still get your performing rights, but you know, own your masters. <laughs> okay. So I talked a little bit about the administrators, uh, talked a little bit about the different types of rights. So here is a visual, and I won't stay here too long, uh, but as I said before, performance rights, public performance rights are taken care of by SOCAN in this country. SOCAN now also dabbles in reproduction rights, primarily for a company called, um, it was originally called Sodrac, and it was coming out of Quebec, but they, bought their catalogs and so they focus on the reproduction rights there so the master right holders and then uh, you'll also see here neighboring rights those neighboring rights for performers recording artists and studio musicians resound is the hub and resound has members and those members include atrax um, mrock and artisti again in quebec now you can choose which member of ReSound you would like to be a part of because all of them have differing uh, member benefits or you can directly you know, go to through ReSound. And then we have reproduction rights. Probably the one that you know most would be CMRRA. And this is where the monies uh, and, and more than these monies are more than the ones that come from SOCAN because now we're looking at the master. So if you own the master, and you're the writer, and you put those together, you're now making a good, you're, you're basically collecting all of the royalties 
that would be owed to you. As you break it down by way of deal or by way of people participating in the intellectual property or creation of the song, it just gets less and less. That's not a bad thing because I've seen friends make tens of millions of dollars in royalties. So for splitting that, you know, five ways even, it's not that bad. <laughs> Um, and then here you have the United States, and I just put that just because a lot of times we hear those names sometimes more than we hear the ones here in Canada. So BMI and ASCAP would be your relation to SOCAN. And if you sign up as SOCAN, like I said, all of you should be, um, because if you have, if you are from Canada, this is where your money would be coming, would streaming stream through. Then you would have BMI or ASCAP representing you in the U.S. We have CSAC and Sound Exchange, and then the Harry Fox Agency, all focus on other areas, including reproduction and neighboring rights. So here I have, uh, for all of the artists in the space, a really cool visual that I like to use because, as you know, as we've talked about, there's a lot of information overload, it's a dump of information, but this is the visual. So the process is you, songwriter, producer, intellectual, intellectual property holder, you create a song. You write, you record, you mix, you master, you register it to SoCan. I honestly should have that in blinking like yellow. <laughs> um, because if you do not register your song to SoCan, you do not get paid. If you do not register your song to your to CMRA, if they're representing your masters, you do not get paid. Um, and if you don't register, if you forget and you don't register it within two years, typically that money is gone. Uh, reason being for this is because at SoCan, SoCan being a non-for-profit organization, they are always, they're not looking to hold on to revenue. So after two years, and when I say register your song, like literally the day you put the period down, pen to paper, you just go and put the name in SoCan because then at least they have it in the database. So many things can move so quickly and all of a sudden your song is this global hit and you're riding a wave touring for two years, come back. In, in most cases, SoCan would probably have your money or have reached out to you, but the point is, that there are times when that doesn't happen. And so what happens after two years is SOCAN doesn't hold on to the profit, like I said. And so any extra money that is there, they actually distribute to all of their members that have royalties coming in. So they just bump up, beef up their royalties, pad it a little bit more. Um, so you don't forget to register your song. Uh, we just had a question right here that I think uh, we could possibly just answer here. Um, so I need to register. Someone was just asking if they could register after the release. So I think we, if they distribute through SoundCloud. Through SoundCloud? So they say I release. Is that what they're asking? If they distribute through SoundCloud, can they yeah. release after the release? Um, okay. Register Got it. I'm looking at the answer now. Um, yes, you can. You can register the song after the release, no more than 24 months after the release though. Uh, but yes, you can, You though all of the data is held. Now, SoundCloud is an interesting one. Um, I actually wrote 
a tariff specifically for SoundCloud and uh, Bandcamp. Because these spaces, and you have to read the fine print on it, but when you're looking at Bandcamp and SoundCloud, they they basically say, we are for the artist, we are for the creator, we are a platform where people can distribute their music. In some cases, they're not paying their licensing fees. So you may not see royalties from these spaces. Now, I haven't touched that conversation. I wrote the tariff, um, but I haven't touched that conversation in probably about three or four years. So these are things to either ask SoCan about or take a look at your um, your sheet when it comes, your balance sheet when it comes from SoCan. See if SoundCloud is on there. And then if not, just give a ring to SoCan and ask why. And it could be because they're not yet licensed. Uh, there are legal battles that go back and forth all the time. And that's actually raises a good point. If you're, if, if the, the platform or the venue that you're performing at isn't paying license fees, that's okay. Just make sure you let SoCan know that a performance happened there. And SoCan's responsibility is to go back to that venue and say, hey, we know that you played at this space, or we know that we have a member that played at this space, you owe us some money. And once they pay their license fee, then you get their royalty. That's actually the only way that this, this um, business relationship actually works. License fees essentially have to be paid. I hope that answered the question. Okay, so we will take a look here at this and you would have now had a moment to just view it. Uh, so these are different ways where your music, places your music can go. So if your music is used in a TV show, movie, commercial, video game, then this is sync licensing, which is the exact same as mechanical. It is a reproduction or part, uh, it's a reproduction of your work in a different space and there's a negotiation that happens there. Your publisher will negotiate or you yourself will negotiate. When you negotiate, make sure that you always think I'm negotiating. And if, depending on what the clout is that you have, ask for a percentage of the money. So, you know, sometimes you'll ask for less money, more equity in the song. So if your song is in Black Panther weekend, then you can ask for equity in the song and then you not only get paid, but you will get money until indefinitely until, you know, nobody's playing Black Panther anymore. Uh, so that's sync licensing. Your song also could appear in TV, bars, radios, live music, that's performance royalties. And this is also the same with the streaming. Any of the streams that are happening will come to you by way of your performing rights organization. So can in this case. Your song could also end up, well, the other side of streaming would go to the master right holder. So this is where you see the mechanical rights organizations, CMRRA is the one here in Canada most used. And part of the streams, a percentage of the stream will go, money will go to the master right holder, a larger percentage, and a percentage of the stream will go to the intellectual property owner. Uh, the mechanical rights, again, masters, often also taken care of by your publishing company. Uh, and lastly is downloads. Downloads, 
again, because that is considered a reproduction, will go through CMRA, which is mechanical, and it would be distributed by either your record label or in this case, your publishing company. Essentially here, you're looking at three or four, well, four or five actually, different streams of income. Although there's only three arrows, we have to remember that the streaming and the mechanicals is another, and then the downloads to the mechanicals is another. Um, important to own your masters. And if not, really look at your contracts, which I'm sure you guys have talked about before, um, before signing to see what, it, what you are in ownership of. Okay, so here we're talking about royalties. We've kind of had this conversation already um, and I, I alluded to how a royalty was created, but royalties are payments received in exchange for the use of a rights holder's intellectual property. Uh, the music royalties that are paid are paid to recording artists, songwriters, com composers, publishers. Everybody has a hand in the pot when it comes to royalties. <laughs> And everybody realizes that the longer the song is doing well, the more royalties are made. But if that song becomes, you know, an, uh, a historical song, royalties are made until you die. And 50 years after that. So this is, you know, it's, it's not to be morbid at all. But many people right now are waiting for the day that Michael Jackson's catalog becomes public domain. And of course the catalog gets bought and sold, but 50 years after the death of Michael Jackson, if something becomes public domain, that essentially means for any platform they can use, they can use his music without licensing it. Now, again, bad example, given the fact that the catalog has been bought and sold, but that's essentially what happens is if the person is dead, 50 years after that, it becomes public domain and no royalties are, are received from it. Uh, when you are a copyright holders, royalties are paid and that allows you to ensure you're getting all different types of royalties uh, and they would be received um, by you at any time, whenever your song is heard. However, when you're a performer, then you're not a copyright holder. And because of that, fees are paid. And the copyright, the, like I said, the minuscule amount that you get from the neighboring rights is really small. But fees are paid. So with if you're a copyright holder, intellectual property, you will get paid when you sleep. That's passive income. If you're a performer, as you know, you actually have to be there to perform. Uh, and it would not get enough to live off of the royalties from your neighboring rights. Uh, in this space, you're looking at services provided for a fee, performances uh, where contracts are drawn up and can be in any location. Any other questions? Oh, I think I see. Uh, what is a typical split with a publisher in the industry? 50-50 um, is the typical split. That's what the, they'll definitely come to you with. And that means 50% of all of your royalties will go over to your publishing company. The back end of that is you may not, if your publisher is a really um, 
has been successful in placing you, you wouldn't have gotten these opportunities without your uh, publisher. I think we kind of touched on the other two as well. I know Jasmine's been waiting, um, but just for clarity. Uh, so as a bass player on a track, can a bass player get royalties uh, for laying down the bass line? And I think we established that. Yes. So it's through yep. uh, neighboring rights. Yes, that's correct. Um, and then when once you've uploaded your song to the distributors, uh, do you automatically get paid through SOCAN? Automatically, not yet. Um, this has been worked on for years. And there is a company called DDEX, which is looking at blockchain. Uh, for those of you who don't know what blockchain is, blockchain is a, it, it is, there are rules. There are rules within the technological ecosystem that tells the computer or the process what to do and how to move within the space to basically say yes or no answers. And then that creates a blockchain, a chain of events, which comes out with a result. So DDEX, blockchain, NFTs, if people are interested in NFTs, very technical. Um, but the ultimate goal is to have your song played and you to get paid out automatically. That would be ideal. I think we're a few years as it has to be so right, right? Like it's not, it's not one of those processes we can make a mistake with and just like, oh, and here's $20,000. Oh shoot. Oh, that was the wrong Kezia Myers. <laughs> Can't do that. Um, I do, however, have something to say in that regard. And that is when we're looking at metadata. The metadata, for those of you on this call, if you're independent artist, you know what metadata is, although you may not know the term, or you may. Metadata is the information that you put in the, the form before you release a song into SoundCloud or Spotify or CD Baby, whatever you're using. It asks you for your first name, your last name, uh, contributors to the song, the name of the song. I cannot stress enough how important it is to get all of that information 100% correct. Because if there is a Kezia Meyer and a Kezia Myers, and I am just filling out the form, it's not like I don't know my own name, but if I just miss the S, press send, all of a sudden, those royalties are stuck. Nobody knows where they are. And uh, you know, actually, right now, it is said to be about a billion dollars uh, in un- yeah, um, unclaimed royalties in North America. Wow. Yeah, uh, which means that metadata was just not entered correctly. And if you're signed by a label, you know, you have somebody else who is filling out your metadata information. Mm -hmm. And I remember filling those out for some of the artists I worked with when I was at Universal. And the form is long. And, you know, you're just going through the motions. And it's human error, but that human error has resulted in a, a you know, literally a billion dollars of unclaimed royalties in North America alone. So uh, in order for your money not to get stuck, make sure you double, triple, quadruple check uh, that metadata form before you press send into the, the, e, the, the internet or the ethernet, I should say. Um, and then let's go down into, you know, uh, this goes kind of, kind of, talked about when I talked about the publisher percentage. 
But let's look at the percentages. So creating a unique work is different than um, the, and, and uh, sorry, creating a unique work is different than the original in any way. So you can have Mary Had a Little Lamb and you can do an arrangement of Mary Had a Little Lamb, but it will be registered differently because it is technically a new work. You will still need to attribute a good part of that intellectual property to the writer of Mary Had a Little Lamb, but there is an opportunity for you to gain some intellectual property because you have changed it. You have done something different with it. Um, so here, for most cases, you have an easy split down the middle of, in, of the intellectual property realm. The intellectual property is comprised of 100%. Uh, and so 50% of that musical work will go automatically to the producer or the composer and then 50% to the songwriter. Of course, if you have three producers and if you have five songwriters, then it's divvied up accordingly based on one of two things. Either we all understand we are in this together and we all had a, um, an equal part in the creation and then it's an easy split. Of the 50%, everybody will get a portion divided by three. If, however, the songwriters are squabbling and one says, I wrote a line, one says, I wrote the hook, another says, I wrote two verses. Well, now we break that down by value to the song is how I'll say it. Because if you wrote the hook, you didn't necessarily write most of the song, but the hook comes up so often and it is the catchiest part of the song that its value is increase just by way of it being repeated a number of times. So now you're looking at the songwriter breakdown and you say one person may get 20%, another person may get 10%, and the two others may get 5%. Did that add up? No, it didn't. So 20%, 10%, another 10%, and then two get 5%. That's uh, so this is, this is the toughest part of negotiation um, because if you look at the negotiation between you and your friend way after the song is released, then everybody all of a sudden thinks that they all wrote the same amount and everybody just loses their memory. So the key to this is having a split sheet. And a split sheet at that point in time says, you wrote this in this session, you wrote that in this session, you wrote that. Because if you have a paper trail, and don't be afraid of paper trails, they will not only save your relationships, they will save you when it comes to the money and the, and the contracts down the road, is if you keep looking at split sheets as just documentation, then when we go back to the, you know, the SOCAN and we're registering the song, it's very easy to know who wrote what. The last thing you want is for nobody to get paid because everybody is arguing about who should get paid and how much. It's just a sidebar and definitely, definitely a plug for split sheets. Um, and now we are at the fun part. Uh, this is basically, I've given you the entire overview. Um, and I 
have, obviously you can tell, I could probably talk about this forever, but I want to give you the real information and I want to get down to your questions um, because I want to meet you where you're at. Sometimes it's just not relatable um, or you have questions that I may not have answered yet. But here's the fun part. So if you are looking at a song with a million streams and 10,000 downloads and 10,000 radio spins, you are basically about to make about $300,000. If you own the masters, if you own the, um, uh, you have intellectual property shares. And when I say 300,000, that's for everything. So if it's split, it's split, but that's fine. The point is, is that just a million streams, which in today's day is not, you know, it's not 500 million, it's not 10, it's still, you know, attainable. It's definitely attainable. The song itself will make about $300,000. And this is looking at the performance royalties, depending on listeners. So you see here, you know, the songwriters would come out with 95,000, the publishers 95,000. That speaks to the 50-50 that I told you before. You look at the downloads itself from all over the different countries, totaling 29,000. And then the revenue for the million streams works out to about $86,000. Add on to that the masters on add on to that the percentage for the downloads like the the downloads on the streaming services not just the downloads um, uh, that are here which may be from various sources from all of those streaming sources and uh, yeah you end up with a pretty good chunk of change. Other than that, that's it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Kezia. No um, so everyone, we are officially in the right on time too. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> officially in the Q&A section. Um, so if you are saving your questions, you can go ahead and throw that in. Um, and while you are doing that, I'm actually going to just pick Kezia's brain a little bit. Of course. Pass some time. So yeah. uh, this is just, you know, for general information for everyone else that may not be aware. I know for me, um, even though I'm not in the country now, uh, when I was back in Canada, I like to keep on top of all the organizations popping up and all the workshops and so on. So tell us a little bit about Advance. Um, how that relates to us as independent artists, um, just, just what you do or what you do there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Advance, like I said at the beginning, is uh, Canada's Black Music Business Collective. Mm -hmm. And Advance was created to uplift the Black community in spaces where we have been systemically excluded. We are here to um, uplift, retain, empower, and educate the community. We are here to advocate on behalf of the community, and we are here to build a pipeline of excellence into the ecosystem. What does that mean for a music artist? Well, although Advance is not artist facing, because oftentimes we're supporting the manager, not necessarily the artist. If you're an independent artist, you require all of the skills that an artist manager would need. 
So we, in June, put together an event and, um, you know, proud to say it is the first like 100% Black event put on in the music industry space. Uh, We had 31, uh, 31 panelists, a keynote from West Africa responsible for bringing Afrobeats to North America, Sunday. We had our, our event planners who were all black tech um, uh, performers, photographers, everybody was black. And we did it from the Global Mail Center, the 20th floor in the Global Mail Center. And it was basically a day of education whether you were looking at the success uh, or your success metrics, whether you were looking at being an entrepreneur, which is what every independent music artist is, whether you were looking at NFTs or whether you were looking at rights and royalties, we were talking about it all. Uh, so as it, as it uh, relates to the independent artist, it really is a space where we are focusing on the entrepreneur. So if you're an entrepreneur as an independent artist, then you are welcomed in all of our spaces to take advantage of all of the information you can. We also open the door to a a community that's built through Slack where we communicate. And if you were to have a question or want to connect with a manager or want to ask another independent artist a question, we can make those happen and we facilitate those. Um, but, you know, really, we're also looking at, the, like I said, the pipeline into the industry. And that's not just those who are in post-secondary looking for work. That's those who may be in a different field altogether. And they're in tech in, in the banking world, but they have a love of music. And in, in the Black community, we have a love-hate relationship with music. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I had the same conversation with my parents, uh, specifically my father, who is a well-known bass player in the, in the city of Toronto. And he also worked for the, the stock exchange for 25 years. He is in tech. He is in management, upper management. And I said, okay, dad, I got this call from this guy named Boy Wonder. And he's saying I should be in the industry full time. And he's like, no. And I'm like, but. <laughs> and it was because his experience, as many of our, you know, our family have been, his experience was really strained. You know, there was a use of our music, but not an appreciation or value attributed to our music. So, I mean, I came back with the debate answer, which was that I'm working at PNG right now. What is the difference? You tell me, what's the difference between me marketing Bounty or Mr. Clean and me marketing Drake? You tell me what the difference is. And I, you know, Drake was Aubrey at the time. I did what Drake was. But the point is, is that he recognized that this transferable skill was there. And here I am today. (laughs) Um, He couldn't say anything. Yeah. But it was really, you know, I advance recognizes that tough space and so many of us are told we need to go to university and we're told to get a degree and I did just that what we're not told and this is you know the fault of the industry we're not told that with our transferable skills we can still be in the industry yeah for sure thank you so much I can definitely relate to that I know I I did two years at Ryerson 
Okay. Um, kind of coming from that same culture of it's okay. Well, my family was more like, this is your gift. We want you to pursue it. Yeah. Just in case you make backup plan. Where's your backup plan? <laughs> so even coming back, a lot of so what happened was I did two years at Ryerson and then I was like, Yeah, no, I'm gonna give my plan A everything. And if it doesn't yeah. work, I can always go back to school. So I ended up going to Harris Institute after okay. two years. Uh, did um, arts management, which is basically this whole thing, music yes. business inside yeah. out. Um, and then from that just kind of did music business jobs, working at recording studio. Okay. So that's kind of my my story. So I can definitely relate to that. Even coming back now, it's still the same culture of like it's lawyer, doctor, teacher. Yes, So it's then you can say there's entertainment lawyer. Always, you always feel um a bit pressured to yes to make it sound a bit more traditional. So even coming back and everyone's like, oh, like, you know, what are you looking to do? Where are you looking yeah. to work? I'm like, I'm just trying to get into music. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. That hesitation. Um, but it's definitely an, an uphill battle, but it can be so rewarding, which is why I think most of us um, stay in it, not just, you know, the monetary form of reward, sure. but also just your passion and being able to. And that's, and that's exactly, you know, I, I'm a classically trained musician. You know, I've been playing music since I was three. I play the flute, the violin, I play the piano and I sing. Um, and I knew I wanted to be in the space. And I think at an early age, I figured out how to navigate getting in the space without having to have those conversations. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of it is also really taking a look at you know our culture our culture and our passion for music is exactly what these labels need they need to know that I'm in the boardroom because they need to swing something by me because it's going to make them the most amount of money so at this point there's a value proposition and that's actually you know where advance really started it wasn't out of the onset of George Floyd although it was great timing that we released at that time prior to this these conversations have been had and it's okay, if I look at the amount of money that the two most successful artists in the world are make, bringing into Canada, the Weekend's Camp and Drake's Camp, if I look at them and then I look in the boardroom at SoCan or I look at the boardroom at the label or at the publisher and there's nobody who relates to them, how are you going to replicate that? This is an economic win for you if I am in that seat. Yeah. So if I can create more uh, and if we as an organization can focus more on recognizing the recognizing the influence that black music has had, appreciating it and then looking at people within the space and giving them the opportunity to sit in a space where they're passionate and they love and they're you're going to get more out of them working anyways. Sure. Definitely. That's why we have acronyms. <laughs> Exactly. See? Special effort. Uh, last year was a bit more diverse. I see the questions. I'm going to get to them right after this, guys. Um, in terms of we, we had a mixture of, you know, black, white, uh, mm -hmm. races on our panel. But this year, what we set out as an objective, it definitely made it harder was <laughs> to have an all black um panel in terms yeah. of everyone that we bring was 
whereas at least a person of color a minority that could understand um because we know that there's some areas of the industry where it was much harder to to find someone who could actually sit and represent that but yeah. luckily you guys you know well if you ever you know if you're ever in that predicament and you're just wondering uh so that advance is in um is involved in every music conference and i just got off a call before this one and it was me talking to the conference planner and you know they asked for advance to put on a, a panel and i say yeah that's we can do that we can come and talk about what we're doing and how to improve the industry however i'd also like to take a look at your programming and the reason i asked them that is because they're pro you only know who you know yeah and the only way we know people is oftentimes because they've been amplified somewhere else yeah. your point about it being difficult and so I, in every conference situation, I say, you send me your programming and I will interject the black professionals that you're missing oh because God. advance has a database of 400 black people and some are in the industry. Some are trying to get in this industry. But if you ask me for someone in tech down to someone in data science, down to someone, you know, an NR and all in between, I can fill it. That's amazing. I know who we're going to be hitting up for next year's because <laughs> um, we definitely want that representation is important. And, and like you like you said, you have a, a database of 400 professionals. Mm -hmm. I think a typical independent artist would not know that based on what we've seen at workshops and what we've seen um, on panels and so on. It's, it's not as representative as it can be. So it was definitely important for us to, to kind of have people come on and see people of color, you know, people from minorities um, in this space as well. Uh, so thank you so much. We'll definitely be reaching out about, about next year's panel. Yes. So we have a couple questions, two questions here. Um, so how does it work when a person sings? So I guess the artist, um, but didn't write the music. So Geo, that is your neighboring right. And that neighboring right is um, represented by ReSound, Actorax, MROC, and Artisti. And so in this case, you would actually be registering your song or making sure that your song was heard on this particular recording. And that's where you would see royalties. Now the royalties for those, um, like I said, are substantially lower because the you know the copyright intellect is not there one of the one of the things that I would say however is if you are singing on a song make sure up front especially if you're just singing you're not you have no part in the intellectual property or the creation make sure you are paid what you need to be paid be happy with that paycheck mm -hmm. um and then also say I'm happy with that paycheck, but I'd also like to ensure that the song is going to be registered with ReSound so that if there is money, like, you know, I started the conversation saying that, and it was Derek Ross who I was talking to, uh, who, who oversees the Slate Music Foundation, Family Foundation. And his song was released 30 years ago. He played on the song and he's still making $5,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a pretty big song, but still. Yeah. So just off that, uh, before we get to the next question, how does, for example, an independent artist keep track of all Good of that? question. Good I question. Excel. Things. Excel is how you keep track. 
Okay. Um, give me a second. I'm just going to turn on my light. Hold on. Okay. So Excel is how you're going to keep track of every work that you work on. Uh, I know it's tedious and I get it, you know, as half brain creative and half brain business, the creative side of me never wants to look at Excel cells. I get that. However, when it relates to the money that you're going to be paid, just quit. Um, you know, for instance, for me, I hate budgeting. I'm really good at it, but I don't like taking the time to figure out and move things and I don't like doing it. So I dedicate once a month to filling out the budget for my family, putting it in an Excel document, everybody can see it, and then I'm done. Do the same with your music and the works that you've worked on. You will thank yourself later. Thank you. Hope everyone's been taking notes. Oh yeah, I I was having person who I hate budgeting, but I know I need to do it because then I get so frustrated when I don't know where my money's going. Right. Um, budget in in Jamaica in comparison to Canada is a whole new thing. It's like you pay for everything in cash, so you're like, did I did I buy gas today? Did yes, I exactly. Yeah, you have to like put it down immediately. So I I, I can see how that transfers to you Total know translation yeah. there. Both relate to money. Both are tedious and nobody likes to do it. <laughs> and unfortunately, there's no app. Um, although that would be a really good idea if there was an app for tracking your music. Someone in here may may want to run with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Email people in the app development. Well, then there you go. You never know. That could that could make it real big. Um, but yeah, so if you are in studio, guys, just just write it down and go home, put it in a sheet, follow up. Um, so the other question we have here is where can people easily find the information you mentioned during your presentation? Easily is, um, I mean, it's easy. Okay, I will just tell you, it's easy because I'm not gonna discourage you. Okay, so key places to look for this information. SoCan.com. SoCan.com will tell you about perform public performing rights, okay? Another key area to look for this information, cmrra.ca. I'm pretty sure it's a CA. Let me just confirm. Um, you can also, yeah, that's CA. That's right. Um, you can also Google a lot of this, and it is now becoming more, um, more well known. You can watch seminars about this. This is being recorded. So if AfroWave eventually decides to release it some way, shape, or form, you can hear me all over again. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and really take it piece by piece. Don't overwhelm yourself because look at where you're at and what you need to do. If you know right now that you haven't registered songs for SOCAN, go and register your songs for SOCAN. Then once you register your songs for SOCAN, then you can take a look at what comes next? And typically what comes next is, okay, royalties. Well, where are my royalties coming from? If you perform at concerts or events, go and make sure you tell SoCan about the concerts you're performing at, even if it's a virtual concert. Because if it's a virtual concert and you've been hired by a company or an organization, 
to sing or to uh, to perform your songs, they should be paying a license fee. Um, then once you talk about publishing, for instance, take that chunk by chunk. Okay, should I get a publisher? I am a producer. I want the opportunity to produce for all of these large artists. Do I have a catalog big enough that a, a publisher is going to um, be interested in? And when I say big enough, if you don't have 50 to 70 works ready, then keep working. Once you reach that 50 to 70 of good quality production, then look at a, a publisher. So step-by-step, step, look at where you're entering. Similar to doing a SWOT analysis, I'm thinking of entering this business. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my opportunities? What are my threats? And learn that way. Otherwise, like I said, it becomes just data overload. And just or reach out to me. That's the option. Go again? Or reach out to me. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Everyone, you should take take down all that information as well. Um, but like I said, you can always email me at operations at afterwave.to.com if you have any question about any of the workshops. Um, and we'll try to get you connected or source the information for you. Um, just on the performance, um, you were saying like at concerts or in live spaces, do your songs need to have been released in order for you to claim those royalties? No, uh, because if you've registered the song mm -hmm. and you're performing them across the country, then again, the venues that are hiring you, so the way that this works is if you are being hired by Scotiabank Arena in Ontario and you're hired by Scotiabank Arena to perform a set, and the set that you perform is two songs. Scotiabank is paying a license fee for you to perform. Okay. So the license fee, let's say the license fee for easy math sake is $100. Mm -hmm. And you're performing two songs. Well, then the $100 is going to be broken down by song. So now each song gets $50. If you are a songwriter on the song and the, and the artist, obviously, because you're performing, but there's someone else who's a producer, then the, each song has gotten $50. If you're the songwriter and you have a producer, we now are dividing that by two. So each, so both of you from that performance, and I only say $100, it is not $100. If you're being asked to perform at Scotiabank Arena, they're looking at a percentage of the gross revenue, but I'm just using easy math. So you can add a couple of zeros if you'd like. Um, then you're looking at half of that. So half of the $50 would be $25. You get $25 in your account. Your producer gets $25 in their account. So the license fee as a whole for the event is divided by all of the works performed and then divided yet again, or split by yet again, all of the people who contributed to all of the work. Okay. And it sounds like a lot, like I, I know, even when I say it, I'm like, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like I'm getting pennies. No, yeah. that's not the case. Because the, the uh, calculation is they should be paying a large percentage of their um, budget to the licensing fee. Mm -hmm. 
so we have, I hope that was clear to everyone. Remember, you okay. can always listen to this again. We're going to upload um, to our website soon. Uh, one last question from Gio. Before releasing music in Canada, can we have a summary of where we need to register our songs? So I guess just the important administrators. Yes. Uh, so question in terms of the before releasing in Canada, are a question to, for Gio, are you Canadian? Yes. Okay, perfect. Otherwise, I, it would be a different answer. So registering songs, so can. And then CMRRA. Mm -hmm. And that's it. SOGAN is your first move always, though. They end up becoming the qualifying ledger when it comes to a lot of different things. Um, and then, yeah, definitely CMRA because that's your master's. So you'll notice that you get ro royalties from SOGAN for Spotify and, and royalties from CMRA for Spotify. Hope that was clear to you. So I'll just put that in here for everyone else as well. So yep. Silken, so and then you have CMRA. That's correct. If you, um, not to add more to the con to the question, but if you're releasing through CD Baby or an online distributor, check the contract. Sometimes they will do the master royalties for you. So you won't have to do anything. Still always, also always re register with SoCan. Sounds good. Because I know for myself, I use, well, when I did use CD Baby at one point, um, and then I switched over to DistroKid. Okay. Yeah. that DistroKid has like a bank section and it, it kind of shows you breakdown by song. Exactly. And then I figured it out, I was like, I don't know what this is for, but then I eventually figured, figured out that part of it. So if you are with, you know, as Kezia said, an online distributor, then you kind of want to go, go through all the tabs and all the contracts so you can yeah. see what you're They may be doing it for you. Um, yeah. Someone that I work with receives a pretty good healthy lump sum each month from, uh, did we go through Catapult um, distribution and gets a pretty good amount of money, but had never registered the song on SOCAN. And didn't realize that the song, which has millions of views, is getting money. Like he thought he's getting his royalties. And I'm like, you're missing the other half of your royalties. Yeah. Yes. Read the fine print, check the check the information. Um, and if you need someone, you know, at SoCan, they have in the membership department. I am always available. Just send me uh, an Instagram DM that's easier, you're gonna get a faster response than if you send it to my advanced email, I promise you. Um, and yeah, that's, that's that. And just a note too, um, cause I know this, it didn't come up this time, but it did come up in one of our workshops. Um, so the breakdown that we usually get, if you're part of a label, it probably makes a little bit more sense because everyone fits a different role. But if you are an independent artist, um, then where, for example, like you would have a producer, if you produce a song and wrote the song, then you would get that percentage as well. So yes. you just replace um, all the other roles with what you do. And that's the kind of, those are the exactly. royalties. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. If I always split it producer and composer or sorry, com producer and songwriter, but if you are both, 
then you get a hundred percent. And then all of a sudden the $50 I talked about before is all yours. Yeah. (laughs) All righty. So if we have no more questions, I think we are officially at the end of the workshop, unless you wanted to add anything, is there any final notes, any advice? Okay. I hope you guys took notes. As usual, as I usually say, there is gonna be um, the audiovisual up on our website for you to go back and look at if you need to. Um, keep saying it. Email us. We are here to help. This is why we put these workshops together. We are run by artists, so we're going through the same struggles as you um, and trying to have access to the same information as well. But I want to thank you, Kezia. Finally got the name right. <laughs> you got it right. I'm honestly, it just took one time. That's okay. And I take no offense whatsoever. So we're good. <laughs> people um, mispronounce it, uh, pronounce my name all the time and I'm just like it's okay I know you're talking about me we're yes. good <laughs> um, but I want to thank you so much for doing this like we've said over and over in this workshop it is so hard sometimes to get access to this information especially if you know you identify with BIPOC and um, you're an artist independent artist in the industry sometimes the information can seem so closed off and there's so many ceilings to go through so it means a lot especially for our organization and I'm sure for everyone that's here that you took time out of your day to do this and to come clarify this very confusing but important part of the industry so we really appreciate that thank you so so much Um, to all the participants who stayed all the way to the end Thank you so much for being here. I always say we could have this webinar, but it would not be the same (laughs) if we didn't have you in the chat and all your questions um, and engagement. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you to everyone and have a good night. Thank you. Thanks for having me.